Welcome to episode one of the Hit By Podcast. It's June 30th and the trade deadline has passed. There's a lot to get to. Lots of trades on the Cubs end. They're in the middle of a fire sale. The Chicago White Sox, on the other hand, they're in the heat of a playoff race. They've made some exciting moves. We're going to break down all those Cubs and White Sox moves for you. And then we're going to look around the league at all of the other big trades and try and hash out the winners and losers of this trade deadline. And we'll get to more general baseball talk for you. We got the great Larry Larson and myself, Lucas Hoig. I want you to step into the box with us. This is the Hit By Podcast. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. All right, welcome to the Hit By Podcast. We got episode one here. A lot to talk about today. You know, big, big start for us. Larry Larson, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, what, what can the fans expect out of these two, these two stunning co-hosts here to start this Hit By Pod? Stunning. That's uh, that's quite the adjective. I don't know if look that's something I'd use to describe myself, but look at us. <laughs> oh, man, look at us doing a podcast. Who would have thought back on the 2018 Belvedere Bucks? Um, but don't st- don't start with my highest achievement. Huh? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so I'm Larry Larson. Like Lucas said, uh, I'm entering my senior year at Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. Um, sports communication major pursuing a career in sports broadcasting play-by-play specifically lifelong baseball fan lifelong Cubs fan which is unfortunate in the present moment but we'll get to a little bit of that later really fired up to do this podcast with you Lucas Um, when Will kind of approached me with this project not gonna lie I was a little hesitant at first got a busy schedule but when he told me I'd be hosting a podcast with you, I thought, you know what? We got to make it work because this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I couldn't ask for a better partner, seriously, Larry. I've been loving to pick your brain baseball-wise, sports-wise for a long time. Like you said, I mean, you got a lot going on in your schedule. A lot of different baseball levels, too. We were just talking. I mean, sometimes it's hard to keep up with the major leagues like in a busy lifestyle like you got, you know. Yeah. You know, broadcasting – uh Real quick, yeah, you mentioned that. Uh, broadcasting right now for the Rockford Rivets in the Northwoods League, summer collegiate ball. So players from all over the country, you know, a lot of D1, a lot of D2, some D3. So I'm broadcasting that every day, and sometimes it's hard to keep up with the Major League Baseball scene. So I'm hoping this podcast is probably going to pull me into that a little bit more. Yeah, seriously, but hey, as a big baseball guy, I think, I think that's maybe a good problem to have. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, finance student at UIC, going into my senior year. Uh, like Larry mentioned, you know, played baseball through high school um, with him in Belvedere. Uh, you know, great second baseman. I like to think to myself. No Nick Magical though. Cubs got a good one going their way. Can't wait to talk about that. Uh, yeah, Sox fan since uh, I can remember. And man, I'm definitely on the opposite end of the spectrum as Larry is right now. Feels probably the best it's ever felt to be a Sox fan. Don't remember much from when I was five, but right now I'll tell you, it feels good. Feels good. Yeah. You know, I'm happy for you. I'm a Cubs fan that likes the White Sox. And I want to preface that here because a lot of Cubs fans hate the White Sox. A lot of White Sox fans hate the Cubs. I'm not that guy. Call me bandwagon. Call me spineless, whatever. I like the White Sox. 
I'm just going to put that out there right now. Oh yeah. I think we can definitely relate on that. We've, I mean, you, I know you've gone to Sox Fest before you're a baseball guy oh, more yeah. than anything. And I like to think of myself the same way. Um, I'm not gonna lie. It was fun when the Cubs won the world series in 2016. You got, there's not many times you're going to see that in your lifetime. Exactly. I'm a Chicago guy too, living in the city now. So, I mean, I'm never going to complain of good baseball being in the city. So, I mean, like you said, you like the Sox being a good team. I loved when the Cubs were good. I liked when the, the Sox beat them, you know, don't get me oh, wrong, but it's, it's nice to see good baseball. And, and luckily we're not in the little slump where we got two bad teams in Chicago. We at least Ooh. got one coming up. <laughs> those days. We'll were get some, yeah. Right. I don't ever want to go back to those. I'm a little spoiled right now. I think we all are. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get to it here in a moment, but a lot of reflecting over these last few days, I think we, we can all say that we're a little spoiled or have. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, a lot of action between the two teams. I mean, let's jump right into it. Cubs setting off a lot of their players in the past few days. Uh, Started with Andrew Chafin a few days ago, going to the A's, but now we got some Cubs socks, two different trades from cross town. Larry, what's, what's it just been like as a Cubs fan uh, seeing, you know, a lot of your core from some of the best baseball you'll ever see just kind of be sent away with a matter of hours? I think I can speak for most Cubs fans and say it's been sort of taken in stages, just like handling grief. You know, you, you go step by step. I think a lot of people are still in denial. Uh, I went to the Cubs game on Wednesday night, actually kind of out of happenstance it we planned it about a week in advance and I didn't even really think at the present moment when we got the tickets that that might be Anthony Rizzo's and Chris Bryant's and Javier Baez last game in a Cubs uniform until the days started approaching and I thought oh wow I might see these guys last game in a Cubs uniform and it turned out that way Cubs went out on a whimper they lost, I think, 9-2 to two to Cincinnati. Mm. But I saw Bryant's last at-bat. I saw Rizzo's last at-bat because they had the day off the next day. And that's really surreal to think just because, I don't know, when the Cubs won the World Series, you know, we were in high school. We were the same age. And now we're a few years removed from that. We're about to be seniors in college. And it feels like, for me personally, this is kind of cutting deep, but it just feels like that's the end of – not only like the Cubs era of being competitive with that 2016 core, but almost like the end of my childhood a little bit, because Mm -hmm. I remember the day when Chris Bryant got drafted. I remember when the Cubs drafted Javier Baez, I was watching MLB network when those two guys got picked. I remember when Albert Almora got drafted in the first round. I mean, so I had been there since day one and a lot of people say that, and I'm not, I'm not going to gatekeep or anything, but there have been a lot of bandwagon Cubs fans, but I had, watched all those rebuilding years and saw those guys come up through the system. And now to see them in different uniforms and to see Anthony Rizzo hit a home run in a Yankees uniform today, it feels weird. Uh, I'm a little sad about it, but at the same time, having seen a rebuild under Theo Epstein and partially Jed Hoyer, I'm a little excited for that dimension Um, and to see what Hoyer can do with another rebuild I'm excited for that part of it, but it's just, it's a roller coaster of emotions to see those heroes of that 2016 World Series just in different uniforms. You know, whether or not that's the right move, I think it is the right move, but it doesn't make it hurt any less. 
Yeah, I mean, it's almost impossible to know when you're living through history. I mean, unless it's game seven of the World Series, you just don't think about it that way. As a fan, you always try and enjoy the game that you watch and you try and, you know, enjoy the series and the competitiveness. But then you look back, you know, five years later and you think, wow, this could be the best Cubs team in my lifetime. You know, this is something that I'm not going to see every day. And I think that's why, you know, that's why you got Cubs fans crying when someone gets traded. I mean, it's just if they hadn't gotten you to that level of success, you're probably not going to feel that emotionally connected to them. You know, it's just one day you're sending all the key pieces basically of a championship. I mean, in a way, it's almost like, you know, how how lucky are you to be able to feel that way about a team and about a set of guys? I mean, not many people can say that they, like you said, I mean, I remember even as a Sox fan seeing people tweeting the day KB was coming up to make his Cubs debut. Ended up being great for them early on, you know, winning the World Series, what, his second year as a Cub, MVP year. I mean, the hype around that. And then you've seen this guy's entire career. A lot of our successful teams, sports teams as a kid, you know, we see them, we know to like them. We don't know why we like them. We didn't see them get drafted. We don't know their stories. And it's just like we were a fan, so we like these players. And, you know, it's different for these guys. Like you said, we were in high school when these guys got drafted. We saw these guys get drafted. And now we're seeing um, we're seeing that window close. The window yeah. we never thought was going to close. It's just one day like that. Insane. It's, it's a harsh reminder that baseball is a business, and, and that's a little bit of a cliche. People say that a lot. Sports are a business. That's the business of it, but it really is a business, and at the end of the day, you can't make decisions really based on emotion, especially when there's that much money in play. For the Cubs, trading Chris Bryant is the right move. Trading Anthony Rizzo is probably the right move. I feel a little differently about that one. And trading Javier Baez, in my opinion, is certainly the right move. And trading Ke- Craig Kimbrell was a no-brainer. Um, yeah. So they made the right moves, but it's it's still tough, especially for fans who maybe just started being Cubs fans right around when they started to turn it on 2015, 2016. They don't know anything different than those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to grasp for a lot of people. I mean, how many 44-year-old women out there who have a dog named Brizzo or, you know, a Brizzo jersey that they just love because they love Chris Bryant, they love Anthony Rizzo. I mean, you know, those are the people that, you know, moms love because they, you know, yes. they win. Oh, of course. And they, you know, you got these pretty boys as the face of the franchise, you know, blue-eyed yeah. Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, you know, the dynamic duo. It's, it's tough to see the band yeah. broken up, so to speak. Yeah, and I'll be honest. I didn't expect – I don't think I expected KB – I definitely expected KB to be dealt. Definitely expected Kimbrough. Didn't know if Rizzo was going to be dealt. I thought that was one of those guys, you know, you can send off everyone else, but maybe you find a way to, to get Rizzo one more contract, get him one more. You know, he seemed – if anyone's going to be a Cub for life, it's going to be Rizzo. And I think when he's when he was gone, I'm like, all right, if I was a Cubs fan, I wouldn't want any of these guys on anymore. Let's see, you know, let's at least try and get something. Yeah, and believe me, I mean, you guys definitely got a good return. Your farm team, your farm system as a whole definitely took a step up. But, you know, I thought maybe they would have found a way to keep one of those guys around. It's, uh, it's something that needed to happen for sure because that farm system was starting to get a little gutted, um, especially after they, you know, made that Eloy Jimenez – trade back in 2017 I'm sure mm-hmm. that you're a big fan of but you make a great point with Rizzo because I mean you see that tribute video they posted for him that's the face of your franchise he's the guy who was there starting with the bad 
came up in 2012 and was on a hundred loss team before the Cubs started that upswing. You know, he's done so much for the community, done so much charity work. He's the physical and emotional face of the franchise. He's been productive for so many years, caught the final out of that world series. I was thinking the same thing as you were. There's going to be one guy to go down with the ship, so to speak. It was going to be him. And Mm -hmm. I saw the report. He wanted to, he didn't want to be traded. He said, I want to go down with the ship. And the Cubs said to hell with that. So that really surprised me, especially considering he was the first to go. And it shocked me. Absolutely shocked me that Chris Bryant was the last to go. Yeah, that was, that was the toughest part for me because here I am. It's what two 50 in the afternoon and Bryant's not traded yet. I'm scrolling through Twitter, refreshing Twitter. Are they going to trade him? Are they going to trade him here? I am starting to convince myself. They're not going to trade him. They're going to extend him. This guy's going to be a cub for life. And then Passan Bryant to SF brutal. That, yeah. that was that was the gut punch for me that really, you know, Rizzo getting traded was really hard, but Bryant then it was just like, man, this is really happening. Yeah, we'll go through these trades one by one, break them down a little bit more. But, I mean, I almost think you got better return on Rizzo's trade to the Yankees than you did KB to the Giants. The original reports that I saw for the Giants trade were that you were getting Joey Bart as well as uh, Lamont Wade Jr. And I thought, wow, that's a – Great deal. You're going to get your catcher for the future, a good, solid young outfielder, about as best as you can ask for. And then it came out, it was like your number seven prospect now, and then maybe number 15 or 16, just the two prospects. And I thought, you know, Rizzo, the return you got there, it was two top 10 prospects, I want to say, or two top 15 prospects you got for Rizzo. So, I mean, I thought if anyone was going to get more, definitely Kimbrell, you got the two MLB players. You got definitely a good, a good haul there. I thought KB would have gotten more, um, but I don't know. I don't know if that's maybe a product of waiting product of uh, having some stuff fall through. Yeah. I, I've got a few things to say about these trades. I, let's, let's start breaking them down one by one. And I want to start with that Kimbrell trade just because Cubs White Sox trade, obviously that's the one to start with here. Yeah. And I want to ask you, Cubs traded Kimbrell, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, who are we going to get? My brother, who's a White Sox fan, he's texting me, Cubs are going to get Crochet for sure. And I was like, okay, you know, that that's a pretty good return. I was happy to hear that. Uh, but then it came out that the Cubs were going to get Nick Madrigal, and I was thrilled. I think oh, that's yeah. a phenomenal return. Even though he's injured, he's a little injury prone, but I love what he brings to the table in terms of hitting for average. He's the exact opposite of Javier Baez. He never strikes out, and he hits for average. I'm a little bit of a baseball traditionalist. Sure, average, the stat is maybe a little overrated, but there's nothing like a guy that hits 300 and gets a hit you know, at least once a game. I think that's a great pickup, but I'm curious to what you think, considering that the White Sox just gave up one of their premier young players. Yeah, I think it's a great deal for both teams, definitely. I think White Sox, as soon as I saw that they were getting Kimbrell, I thought, okay, Crochet's probably one of these. Like I had heard Crochet's name tossed around in rumors for like Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff in the offseason. So I figured, you know, if we're making a move for a good pitcher, I think Crochet could definitely be in there. Um, and I thought Jared Kelly, too, our, our number one pitching prospect, number one overall as well, I thought he was going to be tossed in there. 
Madrigal and Hoyer, though, didn't expect that just because, like you said, Madrigal's out for the year now. But I think you guys are getting a great second baseman. I think he'll be a future all-star for you guys. Um, I mean, his bat finds balls. Like you said, this dude never strikes out. I saw today on Twitter between college, the minors, and the major leagues, he has never hit below 300. And I'm I'm totally with you. I'd You give me any guy who hits for 300 on that team, you know, bats find balls, then you score runs. And I think he's he's got a good defense. He struggled a bit early on, real early when he came up with his uh, with his glove. But I think you know he'll fill in there nice nicely at second base for you guys. Uh, Hoyer's got great stuff too. A little bit off this year. Last year had a one five two ERA and a two ninety two ERA plus. Insane numbers last year. Definitely not as um, productive this year. Got like a five ERA. But the stuff is the stuff is there. It throws 98 mile hour sinkers, and I think he's gonna be. He's another local guy too. I think Cubs fans are gonna like like the two players they got. Yeah, I I was curious about Hoyer because he was a guy that I admittedly didn't know much about. So I'm happy to hear that. I any guy that throws 98 or in that neighborhood, they've got a chance to be legit because that's just the direction yeah. baseball is going. And with that average conversation, it's funny. You know, we're sitting at the Cubs game the other day. I'm with my dad. And he's looking at the Jumbotron. He's talking about how Joey Votto was having sort of a down year. I'm thinking to myself, okay, are we just looking at the batting average? Because yeah. Votto's hitting like 260, right? And this is a guy that would pretty much hit 300 year to year a few years ago. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, the game has changed from what my dad grew up watching. And even when, you know, in the 80s or 90s, when hitting 300 was so valued. My, my favorite phrase now is 260 is the new 300. Oh, absolutely. No, you're right. If you hit 260, that's a productive player in the major leagues. And so it's almost like 300 is the new 360, 380. So if you've got a guy like Nick Madrigal, especially sliding him into the top spot, now the Cubs have a leadoff hitter type that they really haven't had since Dexter Fowler in 2016. Yeah. Plus, I mean, these guys, me and Will have talked about extensively how, especially the Cubs this year, so many just hit or miss guys. Jock Peterson, a great example. You know, he's hitting 190, 210, and, you know, in a good stretch. But, you know, if he hits it, it's it's getting some air. He's probably hitting for good slugging at least. But you need guys like this in your lineup. I mean, the White Sox, he was great for the White Sox. We had a guy hitting 300 in the one spot in Tim Anderson and then in the nine spot as well. Another guy not striking out, getting to the top of the order and allowing those guys to hit runs. I mean – He's going to, you know, he's going to produce no matter where you put him in that lineup. And definitely, I think you got a lot of young infielders, too, in that system now that you can kind of move people around to and find a way to succeed either way. And you, you talk middle infield. That brings us to the Javier Baez trade. Naturally, Cubs trading him to the Mets and getting a stud outfielder in return. I'm a big fan of Pete Crow Armstrong based on just what I've seen on Twitter, Cubs also sending Trevor Williams to the Mets. You know, obviously you're a White Sox fan, but the the big narrative with White Sox fans is Javi Baez, overrated, the most overrated <laughs> player in the league. Is he a little overrated? Sure. You got to admit the guy's electric, but electricity doesn't always win you ball games. And Baez was slumping a lot. And like you said, very much an all or nothing guy. Mm-hmm. He struck yeah. out what, like over 40% of the time. And that eventually gets old to watch. I don't really, you know, that's not what the Cubs should base their moves on. It's like, oh, it's get, it gets old watching this guy strike out. Whether or not he produces is what's important. 
But again, you shouldn't make decisions based on emotions. And just because this guy's fun to watch doesn't mean he should stick around and get $300 million. Exactly. I think that's the big issue. He's coming up on a free agency or probably like in or asking upwards of 200 million at least. And I don't think the Cubs can afford to pay a guy hitting, you know, 230, 240. Although he has his great stretches, you know, super good defender, fun to watch. Absolutely. Any team that he's on is going to feel that way about him. That he's just going to, he's got what people want to watch. He's electric in the field. You know, he hits bombs. He flaunts what should be fly outs if they're against Amir Garrett. You know, he's just fun <laughs> to watch no matter what. So I think, and you know, I actually saw a tweet yesterday, I think saying, Javi Baez said the only place that he would uh, sign an extension to play second base is if he's playing with Lindor and, you know, they're Puerto Rico team, Puerto Rico. Uh, they've had success before doing that and they like each other. So if, if the Mets can sign, uh, find a way to extend him and get that deal done, then that's a very, uh, very good 2016 world series matchup uh, in the middle infield in New York. But yeah that is the issue with another, you know, second baseman, if he's going to be playing there or shortstop, even for you guys, how many times can you have that big strikeout in a spot where you just need a little base hit? Now I'm not saying that, you know, Madrigal's better than Javi or he, you know, he's going to do more, but you need a balance and the Cubs are going to have to try and find that, you know, moving on from some of the guys that didn't have that average capability. Yeah. I think organizationally, especially after today, the Cubs are starting to move in the direction more of average and less of all mm -hmm. or nothing. You know, you get rid of guys like Jock Peterson and Javier Baez, and all of a sudden you've got some dudes who are probably going to play more that hit for average. I like Nico Horner as the everyday shortstop. I've been saying that for a while. He's the shortstop of the future for the Cubs. Baez is going to command too much money like we just got to on the free agent market. I don't think he's worth $300 million. And I got some flack for from Will's dad, ironically, on, on the G unit for me saying <laughs> if there's going to be one guy the Cubs should let walk, it would be Baez just because of that strikeout rate. And, you know, there's no, no offense to Javi just because he's been so much fun to watch. Obviously, couldn't have won the World Series without him. But at some point, you got to move on from that and try to restructure. And now the Cubs have this great opportunity. They've got a great young shortstop in Nico Horner. Nick Madrigal is going to be the everyday second baseman next year. And now their minor league system, they've got a lot of shortstop prospects. Ed Howard is one of them. So they're going to have no shortage of middle infield prospects. So I was, you know, it was another one of those things where it's a little sad to see Javi go, but I was a little relieved when they shipped him off, especially yeah. after they got Madrigal. Right. Yeah. Definitely get it. Seeing that good return. Um, you know, it's kind of a hole that you don't have to worry about anymore. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Cubs out. Cubs number two prospect, Brennan Davis, might be the hottest player in the minor leagues this year. Future game MVP, going to be a stud for you guys. Um, so I think, I mean, Cubs got their number six, seven, eight, 11, 16, and 20 overall prospect added to their farm, plus Magical, plus Hoyer. Uh, Cubs fans, you guys gave up a lot. You guys gave up an arrow, really, of players. And I think you're seeing your next your next group come in for sure. So we got that Baez trade out of the way, and you hinted at it earlier. Okay, where do we want to start here? Do we want to go to the Rizzo trade or the Bryant trade? Probably let's, chronological order. Let's, yeah. let's, go with, let's go with Rizzo trade first. I, yes. I didn't think that the Cubs would get this much of a return for Anthony Rizzo. Kind of like you were saying earlier, 
I think this is a pretty good haul. Yeah, uh, one of the things that definitely shows the the Yankees had one of the deepest farm systems, probably their top 30 could have found a way into the top 20 of a lot of people's uh, or a lot of teams farm systems. So they definitely had more to give up. Um, I definitely didn't think that a first baseman would get as much as he would, you know, normally first basemen are a pretty replaceable position. Um, where you just really need an okay glove and a good bat. And there's plenty of guys like that. Now, granted, I've always been a Rizzo fan. He gets on base at a great rate. That's awesome for the Yankees now because they really need another left-handed bat that gets on base. They got two of them with another stud in Joey Gallo. But, I mean, Rizzo, he had a bomb today for him, walked in his first at-bat. It's going to be a great trade for them. And so I think they were willing to give up, you know, some higher, uh, higher-rated prospects. You know, they got Kelvin – Kevin Alcantara, who was there, number 12, definitely, I think, a few spots higher on the Cubs prospect list now, uh, as well as uh, right-handed pitcher Alexander Vizcaino. So definitely a good return on that for the Cubs. Yeah, you know, Vizcaino, I feel like he's a bit of a gamble. He's had some arm problems as of late. He's a little on the older side, 24. However, you never know. It seems like every pitcher these days has some sort of arm problem just because everybody throws so hard. Alcantara, I'm really interested to see how he develops. He's a big dude, you know, projectable at six foot six. Um, reading the scouting reports on him, and that's kind of what all what baseball is all about, right? Projectability. Projectability. Does this guy, you know, project to be a good defender, corner infielder, corner outfielder? And obviously, when dudes are this young, Alcantara is still 19. You don't really know, and it's a bit of a lottery ticket. But this dude's supposed to be pretty legit, um, so I think that's a pretty good return. And I, I didn't think that Rizzo, again, was going to command a, a big haul. So I like that Jed Hoyer was able to flip him for some talent. Yeah, maybe that was one of those situations where, um, you know, you see if you get what you like, if you get a return and offer that, you know, you think, yeah, I can definitely move him then that's the case where you pull the trigger. Um, I think maybe I heard some talks of Boston also being in the market for Anthony Rizzo. So I can see that maybe driving up the price on New York's end. And at that point, you got two teams competing. They're pretty close in the AL East. Um, if not the AL wild card, then that definitely gives um, more leverage to the Cubs there and who they're going to trade him to. So that definitely worked out in the Cubs favor. For sure. Now the Chris Bryant trade, you kind of hinted at it earlier. You were kind of yeah. surprised that they didn't get more. I was sitting, as I mentioned earlier, I was at the ballpark at Rivet Stadium when the Chris Bryant trade came across my phone. I was upset in the moment because I had talked myself into the fact that somehow the Cubs were going to extend Bryant and they weren't going to trade him and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was working until, you know, an hour and a half ago, two hours ago, so I didn't get a chance to really see what the return was. So I looked it up on The Athletic, and I saw the Cubs got one dude, a 21-year-old, who's batting 235 in single A <laughs> for Chris Bryant. A dude who's batting 235 in single A for Chris Bryant? Chris Bryant, <laughs> the single most valued piece at the trade deadline? And we're acquiring a guy who can't hit 250? in the minor leagues for Chris Bryant, you know, rankings out the window, Giants number 10 prospect, whatever. The numbers tell the story sometimes. And I expected a haul for Bryant. 
I mean, you're talking about a guy that can play seven positions and hit the ball out of the ballpark and is an MVP caliber player. I think he commands more than that. And I'm, I'm really frustrated with this haul. The pitcher they got, he looks decent, looks like he's got some upside. But it's just, I really don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, there's not a team out there, buyer-wise, who couldn't have benefited from having a guy like Chris Bryant. Any quarter infields, I mean, he's played center field for the Cubs, third, first. But there's not a position outside of catcher I wouldn't feel comfortable sticking him at. Honestly, great bat, too. Uh, postseason experience, he's an MVP you really thought that he would have gotten a higher overall prospect, at least headline that deal. Uh, like I mentioned, I thought Joey Bart was going to be a key piece in that, which would have been a great return for the Cubs. Um, and I think, you know, a fair price to pay for what San Francisco is getting in KB, but they were able to get a little discount. Um, yeah, good for them, I guess. But, you know, Canario, hopefully that projectability comes into play and he kind of, I don't know, develops into what they hope he, he will be. Because, yeah, like you said, the surface look of that trade uh, seems a little thin. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little sussed out by this trade, man. It's, and obviously, you know, I'm not a scout. I'm not a guy who mm-hmm. is looking at all these players and looking at the scouting reports. I haven't had time to really dig too deep in much of these trades. So this is very surface-level analysis. But I hate it. I hate this return for the Cubs. I want to see Bryant in a Cubs uniform for the rest of his career. I hope they can go out and extend the guy because I think he wants to be a Cub for life. Hopefully he doesn't want to be a giant for life now. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I mean, he had said, of course, I'm sure he was probably felt a little obligated to say it, but that he was open to signing with the Cubs again uh, once he enters free agency, which of course, maybe every Cubs fan wants to hear that. And of course, you know, you know, you build relationships. You could see how emotional he was leaving Wrigley today maybe that is something that the Cubs can look into, but you're still going to be paying the price that they traded him because it seemingly they didn't want to pay that in the first place. So how likely are they to then say, okay, actually, now that we sent you away from us, we, we wounded that relationship. You want to come back? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's complicated. I saw somebody tweet. How many times have we said that in this show? Or yeah, I saw on Twitter, (laughs) but somebody tweeted, and this was actually smart. The, they quoted or said something like sports fans saying we can re-sign that guy in free agency after a trade is the number one way of coping. How, yeah. <laughs> like, how likely is it that Scott Boris says, you know what, Chris, let's work out a deal with the Cubs after the Cubs manipulated Chris Bryant's service time in 2015. And now in Chris Bryant's final year of service time on that same contract, he gets traded because the Cubs suck. That's yeah. if that's not poetic justice for Scott Boris and that camp, I don't know what right. is. Right. I mean, it seems like the past three years there's been, you know, Cubs and KB tiffing over something, whether it's the arbitration, whether it's, you know, the service time manipulation, like you talked about. It seems like there's always something that, you know, they can't ever come to a hundred percent agreement and then it ends like this. So We'll see how realistic it is that he comes back, but obviously, definitely, I'm sure at the top of the Cubs fans' wish list there. No kidding. He's the number one guy I want brought back. Enough Cubs talk. We've talked about them a lot, considering that they're a seller at the deadline. I want to ask you about the White Sox. Number one question for me, before we move on to, you know, the rest of the trade deadline, because there's a lot to unpack outside of the city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
do you think the White Sox did enough this deadline? I think some fans expected more. Am I, am I wrong in that assessment? Initial thoughts, yeah. It was easy to panic. Um, we knew we were, at least, you know, we think you're going to be buyers. You're in a good position. And, you know, you feel the needs, especially losing Magical for the year. I was really hoping that we would upgrade second base. Uh, we ended up doing that with Cesar Hernandez. Good pickup, really having a good power year for him. Um, I was kind of leaning towards Eduardo Escobar. I thought maybe um, earlier on in the deadline or earlier on in um, you know, the season, there was a few talks that I thought might finalize and get something moving early, get a little of that production. I mean, he's still been hitting the ball well. Uh, we swung and missed on Escobar. Next day, got Cesar Hernandez, both switch hitting second baseman, both an upgrade over Leary Garcia. Um, so I'm not too upset there. And then the bullpen help was great. I mean, both both um, ends of that coming from the Cubs. Originally, Ryan Tapera was the first trade. Gave up a home run tonight. Ooh, I got an ad playing. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Just had a nice ESPN Liberty Mutual commercial interrupt that. Nothing like a little um, mid-podcast research. Yeah, seriously. But, um, no, Ryan Tapera, yeah, third pitch of his White Sox um, debut, sent to tie up the game in the eighth. But I thought it was a good pickup. It was his first run of the month that he'd given up. It's going to happen. Just sucked that it happened uh, first game. But, hey, we ended up winning. I'm excited to see him be a setup man for our new co-closer, Craig Kimbrell. I mean – I'm never going to complain as a fan, adding a possible Hall of Famer to the team, having a career year, too, in Chicago. Um, you know, struggled early on, gave up bomb after bomb when he first came to the Cubs, and has just been locked down since. I mean, him and Hendricks may be the two best right-handed relievers since that point, maybe, you know, mid-2020. I mean, they've just been great relievers, and now we got them plus Kopech in the back end of our bullpen. I, that does give me a lot of confidence, not only that we can, you know, win some more games now, but going into the postseason, having someone like Kimbrell, that was definitely at the top of my wish list as a fan. Um, and I think that did lock down the two needs that we had at second base and relief. I really can't ask for much more. Yeah. I mean, Hendricks and then Kimbrell in the same bullpen, in addition to what they already had, I, I thought the bullpen honestly – was one of the White Sox foremost strengths considering you've got Crochet, Kopech, and then Hendricks, who has been fantastic this year. And then you add a Hall of Fame caliber guy like Kimbrell. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, we can go, we're set up to win series at this point, you know, long series. We have guys, we can close one game with Liam Hendricks, next game, close it with Craig Kimbrell. That's insane. In a postseason, you know, I mean, how many teams, especially with the way that our starting pitching has been, I mean, we could have, we could even move Kopech as a starter come playoff time. Cause I think he might be getting some more innings as a starter soon. Um, top to bottom. I'd, I'd say best pitching staff in the MLB. Yes. I mean, starting wise. I, I don't, even know I don't disagree, close, man. I, I really don't. I'm, I'm really excited to see what that team can do in the playoffs. And you bring up the bullpen deal. And you notice how the trends in the postseason, at least, this hasn't really run into the regular season too much. But even, you know, this has been going on since like 2013, 2014 even. The trends are 
you get your most dominant arm and you kind of run them into the ground into the postseason. Cubs did it with Roldis Chapman. The Giants did it with Madison Bumgarner. He was a starter, and then all of a sudden, bullpen hero coming in for two, three innings at a time. Andrew Miller was that guy for the Indians in 2016. And now the White Sox, you know, they can probably pitch Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell two innings at a time in each of their outings and not really have to worry about, oh, shoot, we don't have a closer for the next day. Yeah, I know Liam Hendricks was talking to was talking about pitching a hundred plus innings this season, and then going into the postseason, he wants to pitch two innings a day. He wants to pitch back to back days. I mean, he wants to always be out there. I mean, and it's so nice to not have to run him into the ground during the regular season when you guys when you got guys like Kopech who projects to be a starter. He can go two, sometimes three innings, you know, confidently too. You have a bad start from somebody, say, you know, your starter goes four innings toss Kopech in there for two crochet can do the same thing he's got longevity to him and then shut the door with either Hendricks and Kimbrell how about both Hendricks and Kimbrell (laughs) it's we can beat you so many ways and it's hard to do that in a pitching staff no kidding and I'm glad you bring up Hendricks I I was watching the White Sox game before we hopped on here I'm sure you were too Mm -hmm. the dude's just a maniac I mean he's borderline insane he out there. there. I mean, he's just so intense. And that's the type of guy you want as a closer, right? The dude that's going to go out there and say, give me the ball every single day. And I think Hendricks is a little bit more of that type than Kimbrell. And now you've got both. And so yeah. when Hendricks is, gets in one of those moods where it's like, give me the ball every day. I want to pitch my arm into the ground. You can let him do that. Let him do that. Day three or four days and you can give him some days off and then, Oh, Hey, look, here's our other great closer, Craig Kimbrell. Good luck. Yeah. Right. And you know, we got Tony LaRusso who they credit with being the, the modern day bullpen creator, you know, he perfected <laughs> the bullpen. Well, he's got just about every tool he could possibly use. So he better not, you know, mess it up now. Cause I mean, how lucky is he, if he wants to be a bullpen master, then he better not mess this up. I mean, now we can afford to, you know, toss Liam Hendricks in a, a tie game rather than waiting for there's been four or five times where, you know, we've given up a run late innings when we thought, wow, Hendricks should be in there, you know, just cause you're not ahead, just cause it's not a safe situation. doesn't mean you can't put your best relief man in. He's your best arm. You got to toss him in there. Let's win this game. And now maybe he'll be more open to, um, you know, something like that. Yeah. There's, there's endless things we can discuss in terms of baseball philosophy with the whole closer thing. But I read a book a few years ago, it was called the only rules it has to work. And it was about these two baseball writers slash statisticians who took over an independent ball team and basically told the manager how to manage. And one of the struggles or pitfalls they had was the manager would not pitch their best bullpen arm in high leverage situations other than the ninth inning. And like they, they prefaced it as uh, the closer is the closer because he's the closer. And so, and I think it goes back to what I was discussing with, you know, the best arms pitching whenever and eating so many innings in the playoffs. I I think baseball's really come around on the fact that you've got a high leverage situation. You throw your best arm out there. You know, you don't just save them, you know? Yeah. We don't need load management to become the thing in MLB. (laughs) We got, we got innings limits. We don't need the LeBron, the LeBron effect, the LeBron treatment to come on over here. Oh man. Let's win some games. That's a whole nother story. 
Yeah. <laughs> what do you say it's time to to look outside of the state of Illinois? Yeah, let's hey, let's go to LA. I mean, we got a lot of stars being let's shoot, we got Russell Westbrook joining LeBron James at the same time that the Dodgers were trading for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Same time yesterday, crazy day in the deadline world. Yeah, trapped with the uh, NBA draft that happened at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Lakers, but the Dodgers are the best team in Los Angeles and have been <laughs> even when the Lakers won their title, in my opinion. The Dodgers yeah. are what the Cubs should have been, in my opinion. The Dodgers are doing what I wish the Cubs would do as a Cubs fan, and that's just all the chips on the table. They're willing yeah. to cost any money. They've got the, all these resources. They're throwing all their prospects out the window. They're saying, let's go get another title. Let's win back-to-back or bust. Mm-hmm. When I saw they were acquiring Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, I mean, I was astounded, especially considering that I saw, you know, Padres were in the mix for Scherzer, but then the Dodgers went out and got him, and now they've got a wealth of of riches. I mean, they're spoiled in the middle infield and their rotation is, is better than ever. Yeah. The Dodgers did a great job. One of covering up the hole that uh, Trevor Bauer leaves them. I don't know if he's going to pitch again this year, to be honest. Um, And they traded for, um, I mean, really the best possible replacement. You can get Max Jersey. He's an animal three times Cy Young. Um, Just great pitcher. Going to be great in postseason as well as Trey Turner. Awesome bag, great fielder, great wheels. Um, I mean, an amazing trade for the Dodgers. And they did, you know, you mentioned they gave up their top two prospects. It almost seems like it wasn't that bad. Another trade happened going down, uh, Jose Barrios to the Blue Jays. I think they maybe sent more talent-wise to Minnesota than the Dodgers did, um, you know, to the Nationals. I think comparatively – uh, between those two deals, the Dodgers got more and maybe gave up less. So really, if you're a Dodgers fan, you're filling a hole that Trevor Bauer unfortunately leaves you with and making your team a whole lot better. And, you know, uh, jo- uh, what's his name? Josiah Gray, he's going to be a good pitcher. Fireballer, super good player. But I think that I think exactly maximizing their window, like you said, did a great job of they've been competing. They've been winning their division for how many years now? And um yeah, continue, like you said, putting all their chips in to continue that. I um, A lot of my friends give me flack for this, but I really like the Dodgers. And that's weird as a Cubs fan, considering the Cubs and Dodgers have played a lot in the playoffs in recent years. Uh, those days are behind us now. Uh, one of those franchises is still winning and the other <laughs> is not. Um, But I just, I've got a great respect for what the Dodgers do. And it's not just because they throw money at players. Their player development system is unrivaled. They are a rookie of the year machine. And sure, they throw money at guys because they've got the money to go out and make these huge splashes with free agents. They've got the money to extend the Mookie bets of the world. They've got the money to go out there and get the Trevor Bowers before he gets in legal trouble and, you know, make all, make all those splashes. But they've also got the home homegrown guys like Corey Seager for every free agent splash they've got. So that's why they've been so competitive year after year. It's just yeah. kind of fun to watch a team and a front office and an organization in general just be run like that. And it's been like that forever. Them just their player development system being so good. Yeah. I mean, 
shoot in the past two years looking at all the things that um honestly in the past year the things that the NL West has done really makes you as a fan think how easy is it I mean it's like any player they want you Darvish that trade boom I mean Cubs did not get a great return for that just makes you think how easy is it to really trade for these guys? It seems like any pitcher that the Padres wanted for like a six month span, they just had to make a phone call and they could get it. I mean, how lucky are those fans to be able to have that uh, from their owner owners and management? No kidding. I mean, the NL West we're, I think we're going to break this down division by division at the tail end of the show, but how exciting is that division going to be down the stretch? I mean, Dodgers and Padres was must see TV. To start the season, everybody was hyping up those games. But now, how about the Giants? You know, everybody forgets about the Giants, and they're the team that's still in first place. And we'll, we'll get to that later, of course. And now they just acquired Chris Bryant, the uh, MVP candidate and World <laughs> Series champion. So that'll, that'll be a lot of fun to watch down the stretch. Yeah, possibly uh, biggest dark horse uh, and biggest surprise of the year, I'd say. 100%. Let's get into some. Some of these other trades that went on uh, throughout the league, another big pickup, we're talking to NL West, Padres pick up Adam Frazier, one of the biggest bats, second baseman going over there, uh, really solidifying that middle infield for them. Yeah, that's a great move. And Adam Frazier, a guy on the Pirates, you know, led the league in hits, if I'm not mistaken, or still leads the National League in hits. Almost a no-brainer move for the Pirates to trade him. Uh, my mm-hmm. youngest brother is a Pirates fan. Don't know how that happened, but he reminded me every <laughs> single day that um, Adam Frazier led the league in hits because it seemed like the only thing they had going for him. That's a great pickup for the Padres. It kind of goes under the radar because it's been buried over the last few days. That's kind of a move that was done earlier before the deadline back on July 26th. Easy to forget about, but that's another bat to the Padres on an already stacked roster an infield fill of, filled with superstars. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And it, Tatis and Manny Machado and Will Myers and Eric Hosmer. Will Myers, obviously an outfielder. You got all those bats, and then and everybody talks about the Padres pitching staff. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, seriously. You Darvish, Blake Snell, both guys they traded for recently. Clevenger last year, uh, when he's healthy, he's great. Um, you know, Musgrove throwing a no hitter this year after trading for him, he was hot in the off season and they were able to pull him away. I mean, really it's just anybody they want. It seems like they've been able to get, uh, outside of maybe Max Scherzer, but Dodgers had to, uh, you know, definitely pay the price for that. No kidding. Also we got Schwarber to Boston, an old ex cub didn't go straight from the Cubs. Um, but a big pickup for Boston at left-handed bat there. How many, how many home runs is he going to hit around that pole? No kidding. That was my first thought when I saw that. And that was also one of my first thoughts after the initial shock factor of the Anthony Rizzo trade is how many home runs is Anthony Rizzo going to hit at Yankee Stadium? Schwarber's going to have a field day with pesky pole at Fenway Park. The guy is just on another level right now. If I'm not mistaken, he's still on the DL. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the change of scenery from the Cubs to the Nationals did him a lot of benefit. I think that did him a lot of good. I think he could have blown up with the Cubs again, but at the end of the day, you never know. I'll be interested to see if that now the new changes scenery hurts him at all. You know, going from the Nationals to Boston here pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, he had one of the best months in MLB history, so you just got to wonder if that's going to keep up the pace once he gets off the DL, like you said. Um, Really only one of the 
big moves that Boston made. You saw New York make a lot of improvements to their squad. Boston's got a comfortable lead uh, over them right now, but you never know how the Yankees, if some of those bats start to turn around. They've had a few disappointments, and they had two of the biggest additions in Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. So I, I'm thinking the AL East is going to get a lot more competitive than it already was. I mean, another under-the-radar move that we kind of forget about, Nelson Cruz to the Rays. This dude hits 40 bombs a year for wherever he goes out there. He's, he DHs. He just shows up to the ballpark and hits. Great pickup for them, I thought. Oh, yeah, 100%. Nelson Cruz, sort of the ageless wonder. I uh, wonder how that happened. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, either way, the bottom line is the dude gets the job done. Great hitter, just absolutely mashes. And somebody said a quote that kind of encapsulates Nelson Cruz to a T, if you ask me. He's going to show up to the ballpark, and he's going to be as good as he can possibly be. And obviously, as he continues to age, that ceiling is going to get lower and lower. But it seems like every year he just plays up to this best standard that he can possibly play as he continues to age. And that's all you can ask for for a player and the Rays adding him to that locker room. And Nelson Cruz is said to be one of the best teammates that a lot of players have ever had. So I I think that's a great pickup for the Rays. And that sort of forced Boston's hand to make some moves. And then Boston made that move for Schwarber. And in turn, the Yankees said, okay, well, we need to go all in now. And they went out and got those two big left-handed bats and Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, love the move for, honestly, all the AL East teams. I think they all got better, all filled some holes that they needed, especially the Yankees, I think, when we talk um, divisionally here. I think they're going to be maybe the team to beat. I was scared of them preseason, and I know they didn't get off to the best start, but if they get clicking, they may be the team I'm most scared of uh, in the AL. Interesting. I would disagree, but we'll get there. We'll see. Maybe at their peak. Yeah, we'll get there, like you said. Uh, Larry, any surprises on maybe who got traded, who didn't get traded? I know there's a few people we thought would leave the market um, or leave their teams, I should say. And um, maybe some of those didn't happen. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm trying to think here. In in terms of just trades and teams kind of being inactive, that's kind of what surprised me the most. We talked before we started recording. The Seattle Mariners, a curious case to me because – they're what two games out of a wild card spot now. And how often does Seattle compete? Almost never. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, opportunity and knocking and Seattle just decided, you know what? Eh, we're going to kind of rest on our laurels here and not really do anything. They traded Kendall Graveman in the division. And there was all sorts of uproar inside the Mariners locker room about that. Excuse me. But, I, I really believe Jerry DePoto, Mariners GM, when he said, you know, that's just one move of many that we're going to make. It's going to trigger a few moves. Did the Mariners even make another big trade after that? I think they traded, they made that swap with the Rays, but that's not a big splash by any means. They needed to go out and get somebody if they were going to compete with Houston and try and keep up with Oakland. Yeah, Oakland made a few good moves, too. A few smaller moves. No big splashes, I wouldn't say, necessarily. But you're Seattle. You're two games behind them for that second wild card, and you really don't get better. I mean, you give up one of the best relievers in the league this year. Mid-division – I mean, mid-series, I think they were playing each other while they traded him. 
And then you lose the locker room right after that. But, you know, your GM comes out and says, I, I, don't worry. It's all right. You know, we're going to make more moves. We're going to trade more people. Don't worry. And after that, you just kind of watch your team really not get any better. I mean, some of those guys, Kyle Seeger, he's got to be tired of that shit. I mean, he's got to win. This is their one time where they can make a push in the last, you know, memorable window. I can't remember the last time they were really making a push at a playoff spot the last few years. And they just kind of BS you. You know, your GM kind of tells you, hang in there, we got this, and then leaves you to dry. I can't imagine um, the second half of the season is going to be too hot for the Mariners at that that point. You you make a great point about Kyle Seager. I'd be so pissed. And it's one of the players I read an article about the whole locker room meltdown after the Graveman trade. Somebody said, like, DePoto just sits up there and plays fantasy baseball and doesn't ever show his (laughs) face in the locker room. I'm not sure I've ever heard of a general manager losing the clubhouse, but that's the case we've got here in Seattle. Usually it's the manager losing the clubhouse, but how about the GM? That's, that's a new one. Yeah, no, seriously. If you got your players coming out and saying that, you know, just kind of trading away there. I mean, you build a relationship, of course, especially in a tight playoff push, you guys are really, really pushing for the same thing as a team and then to trade them to your divisional rival, some the team that you're competing against the most, the team you really need to win against, you're trading them to. Um, you know, I think the the Mariners are going to be good in the next few years. They got some great outfield prospects. Jared Kellenic went deep tonight. Uh, Julio Rodriguez has been great for the Dominican national team lately. Uh, they're going to be good. But, you know, they're, they're a good team right now. Go win some games. Go make the playoffs. See what you can do, you know. Get some teams – I think the the from a White Sox fan, I think a great part of our team this year is the fact that we made the playoffs last year. You know, it's going to get players wanting to sign with you. It's going to get Liam Hendricks, you know, shut the door on our season last year, saw some talent, wanted to join the South Side, and here he is. And now he's helping us compete. I think of the Mariners, if you're a free agent and you see that, you know, you're two games out of a playoff spot come trade deadline and you really don't do anything. The next year, if you're, you know, four games up and you're a free agent, are you thinking, well, that's a team that's going to make the move to get us to win and not just make the playoffs? You know, is that something that's going to hold a player back from joining them and making them better come uh, future years? Uh, It just doesn't really make sense at all. You make a great point there about that because people don't want to sign in Seattle in the first place. There are two Mm -hmm. places that you really never see free agents go to, even like mid-tier guys. One is Colorado, pitchers going to Colorado, because right. who wants to pitch at Coors Field is your home ballpark. And two, Seattle, who's got the longest road trips in the league? Seattle, who has the longest flights in the league? Seattle. They're way the hell up there in the northwest corner of the country. No, Not many people are going to go out of their way and say, you know what, I want to go play in Seattle. You know, you, you got to have a good team. You got to win if you want to get guys to come to Seattle. So you make a good point there. And I'll, I'll be curious to see if they can start winning in the next few years because they do have those guys waiting in the wings. Great prospects. But like you said, you know, they got the tools to compete now. And it's like you've got the A's in the division, the Astros in the division. You got to put together a formidable ball club to win games against those guys. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, Let's get into maybe the biggest surprise of the trade deadline. Uh, When Chris Bryant was momentarily traded to the New York (laughs) Yankees, 
only to every Twitter user's demise when the fake Jeff Passan tweeted the news. You know, those are always fun moments, right? Except for me and when I, I was duped, yeah. admittedly, as was Bob Nightingale. So I was yeah, right. I was duped by proxy of Bob Nightingale because you, <laughs> you kind of expect it from Nightingale, but Larry, I thought you were better than that. Oh yeah. You know, I, I saw Nightingale tweet um Bryant to the Yankees, the Yankees back at it with the blockbuster moves. I was like, no way. Brizzo on the Yankees. I quote tweeted the tweet. I'm like, Brizzo on the Yankees. You got to be kidding me. Somebody re- <laughs> immediately replied, fake. And I was like, fake. Uh, there's, you know, I had a moment of relief, but also it was like, oh man, I got, I got, got, man. Yeah. That was, that was tough. Those, Props those fake them. Jeff Passon accounts, they'll get you. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it, it is the funniest thing is when Jeff Passon tweets about it. The, the right. fake accounts. He's like, really, guys? Like four Fs in the in the Twitter handle and the, and the fake verification stamp. Like, come on. He expects better. He expects better for sure. Nothing, nothing like trade deadline day. It's the fastest moving day on Twitter. You you refresh your feed. Everybody's talking about the same things. It's so exciting. Sometimes you just get caught up in the rush. Yeah, seriously. And we come to the end of the trade deadline. It's actually now. 12 13 july 31st day after the trade deadline Larry, let's talk about what this deadline has left us what's the playoff picture looking towards the second half of the year um let's let's break it down division by division or maybe we'll start with the al actually how about that let's do it how about the al uh, east we're perfect yeah maybe the most competitive division in the al for sure i'd say right now um you had three buyers four buyers honestly with toronto making a huge move to get barrios uh, currently Boston's leading that division four games over, or sorry, only half a game over Tampa, seven and a half over New York, uh, New York and Toronto, both fighting for that wild card, but all buyers for sure. And it's always interesting when you've got that many buyers in a division. I mean, three is a lot like you see in the NL West, but four, and I was really kind of surprised that the blue Jays made a move for Barrios. They are, I think, my sleeper team to watch in the American League. They're headed back to Canada. They get to play in the Rogers Center in front of their legitimate home fans for the first time since 2019. I think that's going to juice up that ball club. They see that the front office is making moves. They're trying to win. Their rotation is solid. People forget about them in that AL East. They're my sleeper team, but my team to watch, my team to beat in the AL East is still... Boston. I like that Schwarber move. They didn't do a ton else at the deadline, but the Yankees are seven and a half games behind. And the the Red Sox still owned the Yankees in that series that they played recently. Some heartbreaking losses for the Yanks. Uh, shout out to one of my roommates, Josh Schwamm, the Yankees fan. He is all high on life right now. He's convinced that the Yankees are going to come back and win this division. Red Sox are my team to win it still. Yeah, I mean, those bats will play in Boston. Xander Bogarts, Rafi Devers, J.D. Martinez, they tore up Giolito when we played him in Boston this year. Those bats, any given day, can put up double digits on you. Definitely a scary team. I mean, they were good in 2018. And a lot of those players, you know, still hitting the ball. J.D. Martinez, one of the best hitters for the past five, six years now. Um, well coached Alex Cora. I know a lot of the players like him there. 
uh, yeah, really only made that move for Schwarber, but I can't imagine that's going to be a bad move for them. I think yeah. at the very least, you know, he's going to bring some pop, another left-handed bat, um, you know, pitching and bullpen. Uh, that's definitely been their issue the past few years, bullpen, especially uh, Chris sale. If he comes back, that'll be huge for them. I know a lot of Red Sox, Jared Carabas, always seeing him tweet about Chris sales um, rehab and whatnot. So that will be huge to see him come back from Boston. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay is still a great team. Won the pennant last year, went to the World Series. Uh, only a half game back now. So it's just going to be a competitive division no matter what. Toronto, I will say, I like their pitching. I like that they made that move for Berrios. Gave up a lot for him, though. Austin Martin, number 16 overall prospect. Uh, it's a big move. Definitely a win-now move. I think Berrios does have one more year, though. So that might explain uh, the steeper price. But it'll be interesting to see how that division plays out. Yeah, I, I would have loved to see the Blue Jays maybe try and throw a few more chips on the table and get Byron Buxton in that same deal. Um, yeah. But Buxton still with the Twins, much to the chagrin of probably White Sox fans and others in the division. But, you know, the Twins, they're not that much of a problem at this point. But yeah. Yeah, let's know. actually talk. Let's talk AL Central going from a team or going from a division with four buyers to now AL Central, four sellers for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, Cleveland divisional trade to the Sox, giving us Cesar Hernandez. Um, didn't really get Connor. I mean, Connor Pilkington was the prospect going to Cleveland there. Not a huge return for them. Uh, Detroit. Uh, did they give up anybody big? I don't think they made too many big moves, honestly. Kansas City. Uh, Danny Duffy went to the Dodgers. I know that Solaire got traded to the Braves, uh, who was hot. I mean, yeah, right. Me and Will were talking about that. Traded for Wade Davis uh, in December of 2016. Fun little fact for you. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, he was one of the hottest bats, too. He had, when he entered the White Sox series, I think he hit, like, four home runs in two games, six and six. Uh, and then again, you know, we talked about Jose Barrios from Minnesota going to Toronto. So a great return for Minnesota there, as well as trading away Nelson Cruz to the Rays. Um, good offseason or good trade deadline, I'd say, for Minnesota being sellers, you know, 18 games under 500. Yeah, absolutely. And I really, it leads us to wonder who's the team in, team to beat in that division. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of wondering. That's, that's the I question he's going to be asking the Charlotte Knights of our 61 and 43 so far. So I think once we get the full white Sox back, rest in peace, AL central. <laughs> no kidding, man. And you know, the white Sox didn't do a ton of the trade deadline outside of their bullpen and, and boosting mm-hmm. that second base spot. It's almost like they're going to get an influx of guys without having to make trades with all these dudes coming off the IL. Yeah, it's like the Sox traded for Eloy, Luis Robert, and Yasmani Grandal and gave up zero prospects. I mean, yes. how can you have a better better deadline than that? No kidding. Winner, winner. Yeah, come on. Now it feels good. All right. Well, that's that's the consensus one. Now we, now we move to the West where we're talking about those Mariners. Astros wild, wild still in West. first place. Who's your team to beat in the West? Yeah, uh, I mean, competitive right now. Five and a half back, Oakland sits from Houston. Um, Houston played a couple of good series. They whooped the Sox. They made the Sox look like a bad team early on in the year. Uh, and then coming back from the All-Star break, the Sox took two or three from them. But I think Houston's the team to beat. They've got leadership. They've got a good coach. They've got guys that have been there. Altuve having a great year. Uh, Correa is always solid. 
Uh, George Springer to the Blue Jays does stink for them just because he's been so good for Toronto. Can't imagine how how good Houston would be seeing their 23 up uh, over 500 now, losing one of their best outfielders. That's definitely a postseason type team, and I think they're the team to beat uh, in the AL West. Yeah, I think without a doubt they're the best team in that division considering that Seattle really didn't do much to get better and, in fact, made Houston a little bit better. Um, and Oakland made a few pretty good moves. But Houston mm-hmm. still, in my mind, without a doubt, the team that everybody hates, the team that everybody wants to beat. But they're still those bad boys of the American League, I think. I think the White Sox, in my opinion, are the team to beat in the American League. Uh, they're my favorite to win the pennant at the trade deadline. However, you know, you can always see Boston, especially if they get Chris Sale back, like we were talking about. They can make a run at it. If the Yankees start to get it together, they need to do that fast, granted. Uh, but they've got the bats to make a run. But Houston, man, like you said, they beat the White Sox. They can beat anybody in the American League. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, Boston and Houston, both great bats, like I said, that can beat you. Um, maybe not the pitching that Chicago has. I think that's why I still agree with you. And I like the White Sox coming out of the AL. Uh, like I said earlier, nobody's got the starting pitching plus the bullpen that the White Sox have. Uh, and if the offense just gets a little bit hotter than they've been, you know, and putting up a few, few low scoring games lately, but can't get uh, too stressed out over the small series when October's coming. As they say, pitching and defense wins ball games. Damn right. All right, Larry, let's move on to the NL. We'll start with the NL East. Kind of a bleh division, I would say. I think all the teams uh, that are competing have kind of underperformed. Philadelphia seems like they've underperformed the past three, four years. Ever since they got Bryce Harper, they've been the favorites and they've just kind of fizzed out by the halfway point. They're basically 500 right now, and I think every year they kind of sit in this position where they're just – sitting in mediocrity, but maybe this year they have a real chance at uh, making a push. They're only three and a half back from the Mets right now, and it's kind of a weak division. Uh, Who do you see coming out of the NL East? NL East is the worst division in baseball, and it's just – it's hard to look at. You know, like you said, Philadelphia, the favorites, Bryce Harper, blah, 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 the hype, you know, haven't really done anything. The Mets have the best pitcher on the planet who can't stay healthy at the same time. I like that they made the move for Baez because I, I think that moves them up a little bit of a step. They've already got that edge on the division, three and a half up on Philadelphia. I think the fact that they really went for it at the deadline gives them another step up. I will say a sleeper team to watch is Atlanta. If they can make a run, they've completely remodeled their outfield uh, quietly, You know, trading for Solaire trading for a few other guys. And obviously, Jorge Soler is not going to win you a division single-handedly. Adam Duvall back to Atlanta, reuniting. That's a feel-good move. And without Acuna, it's it's going to be tough with you know without one of the best and foremost stars of the game out for the mm-hmm. season. That's really tough. Still got Freddie Freeman in that lineup. They've got an outside chance to make a run at it. I like their chances better than Phillies. But the Mets are my pick to win it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think the Mets are just a little bit stronger, a little bit more healthy. I know they don't have DeGrom, but losing Acuna for Atlanta, there's not a more valuable player in the league for a certain team than I think he is to Atlanta. Great. I mean, he can lead off. He can hit four spot. He's going to produce no matter what. Great outfielder, great athlete. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think I agree. Atlanta, I think has got a better shot at making a run than the Mets. They did a little bit more at the deadline um, than Philadelphia did. Um, and a few years sleeper, watch out for that Miami rotation. They've got some of the best arms. They've got like five or six guys. They just traded for Jesus Lazardo from Oakland uh, for starting Marte. They've got like four or five guys under 26 that all throw 100 plus. They've got some real good arms. Uh, oh, yeah. Years away, but, but watch out for Miami. Yeah, that's the last thing I want to hear because, you know, Miami's been the Cubs' Achilles heel for ever since the Marlins have existed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still can't get over the fact that the Marlins beat the Cubs in the playoffs last year. That was the first <laughs> domino to fall where it was like, okay, this right, is kind of yeah. over, isn't it? This whole 2016 <laughs> thing that was that was tough to grasp. But Marlins, man, they're gonna be fun to watch with, with those arms. Sixto Sanchez is already fun to watch. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, fireballer. But man, that division, I think, misses Ronald Acuna Jr. because just electric. He's so yeah, much a couple of stars, a couple of stars being hurt in the NL East definitely doesn't help them. Uh, let's move on over to your NL Central, Larry. Cubs made unfortunately few uh, subtractions today, but could still be a competitive uh, division down the stretch. Oh, how the great have fallen for a few months there. It looked like the Cubs were going to compete. Um, at the NL Central, man, it's such a weird thing because the Cardinals in my opinion, we're the only team that made moves this offseason to really try and get better. You know, you trade for Nolan Arenado. You've got those corner infielders, the combination of Goldschmidt and Arenado. You look at the talent on that roster and you're thinking, they're the runaway favorite to win the Central. Mm -hmm. And they've underperformed almost worse than the Cubs have. And then Milwaukee's running away with it. I just don't see a scenario that Milwaukee doesn't win the division. They've got it going on right now. Cincinnati may be a team to watch. They're starting to put it together. They made a few moves for bullpen arms, but they didn't do that much at the deadline. They're just going to have to win with what they've got. I don't think that's enough to beat Milwaukee. Keep an eye on the Reds, but the Brewers are going to win the Central. Yeah, I think Cincinnati has a fun team more than a good team. Uh, Castellanos hits. He's hurt now, but... He is so fun to watch. Constantly just going to go out there and produce offensive numbers. He's fun. Jesse Winker hits bombs. Um, Jonathan India could be NL Rookie of the Year. He hit two tonight. He's fun. Um, you know, I mean, Joey Votto setting franchise records too, seven games in a row with a home run. But I, I have to agree. I mean, Milwaukee with that pitching staff, they just need a, a smidgen of offense to run away with that division. Um, and it's looking like that's how it's going to pan out. Yeah, absolutely. And seeing that Brewers team in person, you know, maybe they don't oh, have the the biggest names, but they're clicking right now. I wish maybe more than anything that Christian Yelich was still MVP Christian Yelich. That's one player that I miss just watching play at the highest level. When he was on, he was one of the most fun players I've gotten to see uh, just being a fan of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and let's end this uh, playoff picture looking at possibly the best division in baseball, NL West. We've got the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres all competing, all 60 wins plus, um, and all pretty active at the deadline too. San Francisco currently leading that division three over the Dodgers and made that move for KB, but the Dodgers making the big splash, getting Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. 
Larry, I don't know. Is that going to be is that going to be enough to uh, get those three games back and take the lead over the Giants for the division? You know what? I've been making the jokes about it a little bit. You know, it's a shame that you know the Padres are making the moves and the Giants are making the moves only to lose to the Dodgers again. I think the Dodgers are going to come back and win that division. There's just no way in my mind that the Dodgers, you know, made that move, the biggest move of the deadline, without a doubt, that from any team, a blockbuster deal. Their lineup is stacked. The Dodgers, all things considered, they've underperformed, and they've been injury-prone. Mm-hmm. Mookie Betts is going to come off the DL. Corey Seager just got activated off the 60-day today. And guess what? Then you've got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner rolling into town. How the heck are they going to squeeze all those guys into the infield? I don't know. Yeah. It's a great problem to have if you're Dave Roberts. I think the Dodgers are the team to beat in that division. I'm going to keep sleeping on the Giants. Maybe I'll come to regret that when we have our playoff talks in October. I think the Giants are going to make the playoffs. You're going to, without a doubt, have three playoff teams from the NL West but I think the Dodgers are the team to beat in that division. Yeah, I will say the the Giants have been the most surprising team for me. I mean, their bats, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Bell, Buster Posey, just producing. I mean, these guys, I thought they maybe peaked three, four years ago when they had their playoff runs. And this year it's like some something's in the water in San Francisco because they're all hitting like prime versions, uh, prime versions of themselves. And then they toss in KB, Maybe he'll get a sip of that um, Brandon secret stuff or something because <laughs> that, that team's scary. When they're hitting, I mean, the matchups, we talked about Dodgers-Padres having some good matchups. Every single – I mean, Giants-Dodgers, Giants-Padres, every single matchup, every single time they play, it's like a playoff game. So, yeah. I mean, great for the fans of those teams and great for baseball, you know, because that is some high-quality baseball being played over there. I think the Giants are going to just keep riding. I think this is – they kind of have their – team of destiny type feeling they just find a way to win games find a way to win series always i mean they got great pitching very underrated pitching kevin gosman's been cy young type this year um maybe not as deep pitching as the dodgers or padres honestly but those bats if they keep hitting they keep winning 100 percent. and the one thing is they've got that title experience on that roster Mm -hmm. you know those guys have won before it's been a while since they've won but they've done it and, you know, the guys in that locker room, they've got that belief in themselves. They know what it takes to win. And some of those new guys in that locker room are bought right into that culture. I've taken in a lot of West Coast baseball, long bus rides back from games, you know, all over the Midwest, back to Rockford. So the only mm-hmm. games on the radio, they're West Coast games. So I listened to a lot of the Giants. I think John Miller is phenomenal on the radio. Listen to Bradley alum, Charlie Steiner for the Dodgers. Um, and it just seems like every time the, the Giants meet the Dodgers, the Giants just find a way to grind out wins. And mm-hmm. it is really amazing to me. Um, and if they keep doing that, uh, they're going to win that division. But I just, I just don't see it after the Giants make or after the Dodgers made that move. Yeah. Dodgers, too. Like you said, they're without a doubt going to make the postseason and they're really set up to win in the playoffs. They're, they're set up to win a world series. Um, you know, so we'll see how that pans out. For sure. And one of the biggest surprises, kind of a feel good story. 
you know, the, the old men giants, the oldest roster in baseball, can they pull it off? Yeah. Right. I'm sure they'll give us some memorable postseason moments. Looking forward to that. All right. Larry Larson, that wraps up the playoff picture. Good day of baseball today. That was, I mean, maybe for you. I still don't know how to feel about it. My, uh, (laughs) when I walked in the house, my brother goes, how you doing, Larry? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Ask me again in maybe two years. Yeah, exactly. Ask me in three years. It's just like, (laughs) I don't know. It's the right thing to do in the moment for the Cubs, but it's tough to swallow. And uh, I think I'll just put my baseball fan cap on for the rest of the year and try not to live and die with the Cubs as much. <laughs> yeah, try and enjoy the season. Maybe maybe make your way out to the south side. Yes, sir. I, I watched a lot of the White Sox. I, that's, yeah. that's one thing I'll be doing for sure. Yeah, I'm going to tomorrow's game. Maybe I'll see Kimbrell's first action in the, the white and black. Yeah, did you see the video of him rolling up to the clubhouse in the middle of the game? Yeah. Pulling out his Cubs duffel bag too. That's classic. That's that's we'll classic. Like that you, you knew the White Sox were like, oh, we got to get down in the tunnel. We got to shoot that video. Yeah. That's great content. Like he just got here from the north side. That's a big, you know, middle finger to the Cubs. Like, hey, we got your guy. We're the good team now. Yeah. Passing some social media intern. Some social media intern just had to sprint a mile and a half to get that video. <laughs> for sure. For sure. That that White Sox team. It feels like every time you watch them, you're going to see something explosive, entertaining, mm-hmm. just something off the wall, whether that's Tony La Russa sprinting out of the dugout tonight or Liam just acting like a maniac. They're just playing out fun to watch. Yeah, that, uh, that Eloy Jimenez bomb in the eighth inning, they walked Jose Abreu to get to Eloy. At, this was after he made two good defensive plays and an outfield assist, and he hits a go-ahead bomb in the eighth. It was one of those moments you think is going to be on the DVD when this is all said and done. That's very true. They've had a lot of those moments, and yeah, you, know, you, you just hope that DVD gets made. Because right, all, all I'm saying, all, I'm rooting for the White Sox. I feel like people are getting a little ahead of themselves right now. Oh, I 100% am. Oh, 100%. <laughs> No, best team in the American League, I think. I think I fully expect to see a few, few playoff rounds. Oh well, I do too. If they don't make a few playoff runs, that's that's a bust. If they don't yeah. win more than two pennants, eh, you know. Yeah, and Larry, I'll wrap I'll wrap things up on this. I hope to one day be lucky enough to feel the way I that you Cubs fans have about the core that you're leaving. I hope to see, you know, Jose Abreu's last day as a Sox and feel the way that you guys got to feel about Rizzo leaving the Cubs. I hope that, you know, I get to see that team. I get to have my team of my youth, my 20s. I hope I get to see this White Sox team, you know, get to where I want them to be. Um, Sad day for Cubs fans, but it's because of the good things that you guys had. And, I mean, wow, how lucky can you be to be that sad, I guess. Yeah, you know, and going back to some of the 2016 nostalgia, there were so many people who just did not live to see the Cubs win the World Series. Two of my grandparents, you know, lifelong Cubs fans that my family has known, and everybody has those folks that just did not get to see the Cubs win the World Series. And Mm -hmm. we did. And I was 16 years old 
when I saw the Cubs win the World Series. I mean, what are the chances of that? I mean, that is really – I'm really lucky because I'm hoping, honestly, a few years down the road, I'll have a career in baseball, I'll be working for some random major league organization, hopefully you know, broadcasting minor league baseball realistically. I'll be following whoever's system I'm in more than I'm following mm-hmm. the Cubs. I was really hoping to see the Cubs make one last run at it because – you know, ultimately my goal is to make it to the major leagues as a broadcaster. I don't care who I'm broadcasting for, but my Cubs fan days will be over then unless I'm broadcasting for the Cubs. So, you know, this is kind of like the one last two raw um, before I enter the job market next year. Um, yeah. So for me personally, it felt like a little bit of a last dance, but I'm grateful to have seen, you know, a Cubs world series title, you know, Chris Bryan, MVP, the Brizzo magic, uh, Cubs World Series parade, a couple million people in downtown Chicago. Yeah, all all those memories. Yeah, it all kind of hits you at once today when you see Anthony Rizzo in a Yankees uniform and Chris Bryant crying in the dugout in Nationals Park because he got traded. Yeah, no, seriously, emotional day for Cubs fans for sure. Uh, Larry, I think that's going to do it for episode one of Hit by Pod. Had some great conversations about trade deadlines today about. Chicago baseball fandom. Um, looking forward to doing again this again next week. Let me tell you, we're going to get better and better every week. We may have talked your ear off this week. We'll be better next week. And uh, Lucas, I'm, I'm excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, you guys will have to step back in the box. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. 